Welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast, the podcast where three Canadians and one American all of a psychotherapist serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Ryan House from Canada, no, from California, USA. And I'm Brooke Lewis from Vancouver, Canada. And I'm Joanna Boyd, also from Vancouver, Canada. And I'm Chris Boyd, also from Vancouver, Canada. And I'm also uh, Joanna's brother. Right on. Yes, that's true. I, I slipped there and said that I was from Canada. I don't know what that means. Maybe there was a Freudian slip. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to move there or something. I don't oh, know. We would love that, Ryan. We That'd would nice. love that. Uh, unfortunately, your country won't let my country in right now <laughs> because of COVID, right? Very true. That's, that's from, yeah, I think the border. Like if you fly into Canada, that would work. And you would be right in our bubble, I'm sure, after maybe a two-week quarantine. Um, okay. But then hugs. <laughs> then, then hugs. From, from some people. Not from <laughs> Brooke. But Chris and I will give you the hugs. Lots and lots of hugs. I, that is an interesting kind of side topic, right? The hugging, the, the physical... Touch thing that's just never been your thing, huh, Brooke? No, not my thing. Not a big hugger. Not from a huggy family, so that might be part of it. Yeah. 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 I've gotten better over the years. Um, Part of it was reframing to you know what other people enjoy these hugs, and if it's not painful, it's like a just doesn't feel right always. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've kind of adapted a little bit for other people's sake. In a safe way while still respecting my personal boundaries. So there might not be a linger hug. It might be like an A-frame tap-tap hug. (laughs) Those are nice too. Or a one-arm. Yeah, a side-by-side buddy hug. Yeah, yeah, that's good too. (laughs) At a girl, right? That sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, uh, one silver lining of uh, COVID is I don't have to shake clients' hands because I have a really bad hand handshake. Or I've been <laughs> trying to work on it, like years and years of trying to work on it. But just kind of, you know, you don't have to do it anymore. It's COVID. Oh, man, Chris, I didn't even think of that. You must have been so relieved. You know, I, I am. Like, hello, nice to meet you. There's a hand sanitizer, and we're going to head into this office. Or virtually, you know, of course, you can't shake hands that way. So. What's a bad handshake? How, how is your handshake oh, bad? It's so awkward. <laughs> It's, it's, it is kind of awkward. Yeah. Like his, yeah. I don't. Yeah, it's I like can't I'm, overthink it. You just overthink it. Like I'm overthinking it. it and squeezing and I don't know. Yeah. And then your hand gets sweaty. It does. Yeah. Like immediately, you just start yeah. moistening up. Clammy. Yeah. <laughs> Where I shook one client's hand, he's like, "Oh man, it's not the best handshake." Like, no. Oh no. Good way to now, go. <laughs> now I know. I know people who are kind of like overly strong, you know, muscle shakers, right? And I then, do that. I'm a, like an overly, yeah, people are like, oh, that's a handshake. I I have a pretty firm one as well. Oh, boy. And then there's the curse, then kind of the wet, the dead fish thing of just, just kind of, wow. It's like awkward, like, I don't know. Like stiff, like he doesn't, his hand doesn't I, like I, melt I to, to someone in, else's. I come in for it and I, I don't know. <laughs> If only the listeners could be seeing us right now. Try to find our YouTube video. It's very... Yeah, we're trying to describe this. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Okay, well, I'm sorry, Chris, that after 
<laughs> years and years of practice, it still hasn't come together for you. I'll get there though. I have some time to practice. So it's true. Yes, that's true. And of course, no one will be hand shaking hands anyway, probably for a while. So if ever. Oh. Yes. I was just thinking about that, you know, with the whole COVID thing. And remember many months ago, people were talking about washing hands and singing songs about washing hands and bumping elbows. And yeah, that, that just kind of went away. It seems like, I mean, of course people are still advised to do it, but uh, the talking about it has kind of ceased. You know, That's true. And we, we, uh, so we were also doing the bumping elbows thing, but I thought that was kind of weird because you were also told to like cough in your elbow. Mm. Right. So then our, our friend group decided to start like doing uh, like a hip check, like a disco 70s dance move. So we nice. would like bum bump everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a bum boop. A, a little bum boop. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It was great. Do you they guys realize, still do that? Well, no, no we realize you can't it's, be six feet. Um, yeah, that's it. Oh my gosh. Wow. It, it was fun while it lasted though. It was like boop. And everyone made a boop sound every time. Boop. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you Canadians. I don't know what you're saying last week, Brooke, about you guys being polite but not friendly. I think uh, bumping butts together is about as friendly as it can get. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, okay. I guess, uh, I guess we're going to dive into our topic here before too yes. long. If we have a topic, does anyone remember... Our ambush topic today? It's me. It is Are you rough. ready? Do you want me to send it? I am ready. Drum roll, Chris. What, what is the ambush, Ryan? Can you describe it? Oh, of oh. course. I forgot. Hey, Joe. I always get sidetracked and I get so eager I forget to describe. So the ambush is the, the this interesting idea we have that one person will come up with a topic and not tell the other three. It will be an ambush for those three. Just like in a therapy session, we don't know what we're going to be talking about whenever someone walks through the door or we turn on our computer. Um, so we're kind of unprepared, but that's intentional, and we're kind of thinking on our feet. So Brooke has sent me the ambush for this evening, and I am so eager to dive in. Let us begin. Oh, it's short and sweet. So excited. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You ready? Oh no. The topic is depression versus existential crisis. Brooke. That's all it. That's all the words. Depression versus existential crisis. <laughs> wow. So good. Oh. <laughs> okay, let's kick off this cheery topic. What were you thinking? Brooke, tell us a little more about this. <laughs> Joanna. Uh, the listeners are going to have to check. Check out the, the YouTube. Like I'm crying because to me, it, your reactions are funny. Um, so yeah, so, <laughs> a little surprise. It's an ambush. So the reason that I bring this up is because um, I think in the population that I see, I'm seeing more existential crisis than I am depression. So it's not a confusion of am I depressed or is this a crisis or are you they're just coming seeing... in? They're coming in describing their symptoms. And for me, I view it more as existential crisis versus a depressive episode or depression. But maybe that's because for my mind, it's easier to work with that way. So I think it, it's worth talking about 
what is depression? What is a, a depressed episode and what is it not um, versus existentialism and what happens when we get into an existential crisis or, yeah, and how those might differ or what they might present as in the counseling room, right? And if we want, if we have time, I know that that's a big topic, but if we have time to, um, it can easily venture off as well into when depression a client comes in and they're presenting as depressed, but it's actually something deeper. There's something else going on. Something else going on. Right. Like an existential crisis or something else. Or, or something else. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Any thoughts? Nope. Time to wrap up, everybody. <laughs> uh, I got to go somewhere. I have to be. You know, uh, I was watching a YouTube video today. It was Stephen Colbert. He was, it was an old video from a couple of years ago. He was doing a workout session with uh, the late Justice um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it's funny because he was like, uh, he was like, what constitutes a sandwich? And uh, her first answer was, what is your definition of a sandwich? Um, and got right into the details because his question was like, is a hot, is a hot dog considered a sandwich? So she right away, she tried to break it down into definitions, right? So for our listeners and for probably us too, we should probably define what existential crisis or existentialism is, as well as we should probably have a working definition of depression too, right? Certainly. That's absolutely the case. So existential crisis. I'll begin, but I'll tag team someone else here. So uh, if we just take the term existential, starts off with existence, right? It's about, it's about the idea of our existence. It's someone coming to grips with the fact that we are mortal, that we have, that our lives have a beginning and a middle and an end. And that, uh, and oftentimes the crisis part comes when we are very much aware of the, the finite nature of life, that life does not extend, or at least life on earth, depending on you know, your belief systems, but, um, that this one life we have will come, to, will draw to a close. Uh, and for a lot of people, that's where the crisis comes in. Oh my gosh, I've only got so many years on the planet or so many years left, or I don't know how many years I have left. It could be ending anytime. And when people come to that kind of stark realization that uh, this, this gig doesn't last forever, that can cause uh, a bit of a crisis. And, and not just, again, it's not just about the focus of, of uh, the dying, it's oftentimes a, a, a focus on, well, what is my existence all about? What does my life really mean? Yeah. What, what kind of mark am I leaving on the world? And what, uh, what purpose and meaning do I have in my life that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's here on earth, right? Mm -hmm. And once yeah. that begins, it can lead to lack of motivation, feeling mm -hmm. stuck, and a loss of joy and pleasure. Well, why, why would, I mean, just the, the pure contemplation of that doesn't necessarily mean all of those things, right? Not necessarily, but it sometimes can get to a place of that. Where people can start to feel like, oh, uh, you know, maybe my life does not have meaning, or maybe there's not enough time left, or maybe I'm not going to leave the mark that I wish I would have left. Is that what or, you're Or I may not ever find the meaning or purpose. Okay. Yeah. I also find that um, the existential crisis or angst shows up a lot for um, kind of late teens, early to mid twenties, 
Um, so multiple clients, you know, it comes up uh, for them and um, you get bombarded by these thoughts. And I think there's a, there's a reason why that is like developmentally speaking, increasing neurons, lack of pathways and, and uh, you know, maybe the part of the brain that's supposed to help you out with logic, rationality, and maybe um, coming to some kind of certainty um, is still going through some, some changes. So um yeah for the most part up to that time you kind of you're kind of in the moment you're living life kind of carefree and then boom you get hit with these really intensive thoughts about your future about who i am how i fit in this world what i should be doing in terms of education or career or, um yeah it's very prevalent oftentimes people will experience yes I, I agree with that just in a phase of life but also people experience this during times of great transition, you know, they'll mm -hmm. talk about an existential, you know, oh, I lost my job and now I'm having an existential crisis or my relationship has ended. So now I'm having an existential crisis. And it's usually, you know, as they're considering kind of the big questions, the big, the big topics, you know, mm -hmm. what am I doing? What am I known for? Who am I spending life with? Then people start to ask these questions. And yes, sometimes it does become a crisis because they're, they're not coming up with answers that are satisfying for them, right? Sure. So then my question into that on a bigger scale, is there, do you think that some of what we're seeing if clients are presenting with existential crisis and I'm noticing it often or a decent amount is that, or do you think that might be reflected in the global climate of things? So we say that it's more likely to happen during a time of transition, such as job loss, or it could be um, getting into university or finishing university or uh, loss of a relationship. But what about the fact that the world is in transition? The fact that there's climate change and that there's um, police brutality issues popping up and racism and COVID and mm -hmm. all these other large global topics that are creating a global transition. And I'm wondering, maybe that's trickling down. Maybe there's a zeitgeist. Sure. I had a client a couple of days ago, he was saying how, uh, you know, he was having some of his existential thoughts, just but even about our housing crisis up here in Vancouver and how, how expensive it is. And, you know, if I don't get certain grades in grade 12, can I get into that school? And can I actually move out and have a job and find me? He was spiraling, right? So on a greater scale, yeah, if you were a lot of access to information right now, and there's a lot of challenges happening in the world as we speak, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So do you think sometimes existential crisis is being mislabeled as depression? Or is it one of the same, or do they complement each other? I wonder, oh, I just wonder how long someone would be in it. That's all. Like if they have this and they have a, they kind of go down a spiral for like a day or a few hours, but then they're kind of out of it. And then, you know, like it wouldn't be, wow, I feel like I'm depressed or anything like that. There'd probably be a few factors to consider. I think we've got to, we've got to define the hot dog here though, and talk about what is depression, right? Before we get into the comparison piece. Mm -hmm. Joanna, we've done, did you want to, I'm throwing you under the bus there. But I can take a, I can take a swing at it. Like when I think of depression, it's like more prolonged, isn't it? Like it's a, well, consider it a mood disorder, but it's feelings of persistent sadness um, that can be, can impact the key aspects of your life, right? Mm -hmm. So impairing functioning in one or more domains of life. So work, personal life, uh, school, right. those sorts of things. 
um, prolonged sadness, but it's also lack of motivation and energy, loss of joy or interest in things that you would usually find pleasurable, changes in appetite, changes in sleep. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, potential changes, like a loss of sex drive. So all yeah. of that gets affected. And then typically for a depressed episode, it's got to be for two weeks, is kind of two weeks or, or longer for a period, right? Where it's... Yeah. And that's like a traditional depressed episode. Um, and then there's other forms of depression as well. I also want to throw in there that, that as far as like the cause or the source of depression, for some folks, it comes out of the blue. It's, it's a purely uh, like a chemical mental process where, and it sure. doesn't, it's not really kicked off by anything. It's just all of a sudden they find themselves slipping into a depression other folks, it may be more of a reactive depression is kind of the term that we use Situational. There. Or situational, yeah. episodic. It's something where, you know, something happens and then as a result, I become more depressed. It's a good point though, is the, there's a biological factor, right? There's a genetic yeah. factor, uh, experiential, right? Yeah. So, and, yeah, temperament, like there's a lot that, that plays into it. So that's a really good point because sometimes people think, oh, you know, it's just sadness right you just feel sad and something happening experiential but sometimes it can hit you drastically right they say 30 to 40 percent of the way that we feel is influenced by genetics mm-hmm. and it's so much more than sadness as, as noted right i think that's a stereotypical yeah well you're not you yeah. don't seem sad but it's not it could just be there's so much more as as we noted before absolutely yeah. i i find that the most most common symptom of depression that i see in clients is a lack of energy they're just they're devitalized they're have a hard time focusing and and doing things and activating themselves and getting out of bed and all of that. And then, of course, one of one of my favorite words, although it's not a great symptom, is anhedonia, which is the when you lose uh, interest in things that you once found pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And that's a big big part of uh, of depression as well. Yeah. Okay, so now that we have these two sort of defined existential crisis and the depression how do they how do they measure up are they i'm sure there's overlap here but uh but how can we distinguish between the two i guess that's crazy that's kind of your question right brooke yeah or what you guys kind of think about so if a client comes in um i i find that a client comes in and they're like oh i'm kind of feeling depressed but the more we flesh that out it's actually more of an existential situation than it is a traditional depressed episode. And so part of my decision on this topic was trying to provide some, a little bit of awareness or education or background that um, they can look similar, but sometimes they're different. Okay. And let me, let me yeah. pause and ask a, de- a kind of a side question here real quick, Brooke, mm-hmm. which is, and a lot of people get really interested in diagnosis, you know, differential diagnosis. What's the difference between this diagnosis and that one? Or is it this thing or is it that thing? And, uh, and people, I, I especially knew this when I was teaching graduate students, especially in the first couple of years, they get really excited about, oh, I can do this diagnosis thing now. I can, you know, hit the criteria and all of that. But the, the function of diagnosis is, is kind, of, kind of limited. I mean, in terms of, okay, let's say that we know it's this and not that. Well, how does that really inform the treatment? Does it really change much? You know, if someone is dealing with um, uh, dysthymia, which is a milder long-term depression or major depression, 
are we really going to, is that going to affect how we're treating this, how we're going to talk to the person? What is that really going to mean in the long run? So I guess that's kind of a question I have here when you're talking about people who are, who are showing up saying, I think I'm really depressed and, and I need some help with that. And then you, re fear, you figure out, oh, actually, it's probably more of an existential crisis that they're experiencing. Is that really going to change much of, of what you do in the room, do you think? I think it's going to influence what you're doing. Okay. Or, or for, for me personally, it would influence what I'm doing um, because those are bigger, deeper questions that are going to be uh, definitely insight based, but kind of more positive psychology stuff or you mean, or existentialism about itself. Like, so in the, in the room, what you're doing with the client, those strategies or questions may look different from what you are going to do. The, the questions or strategies that you might use if somebody's in a depressed episode. So chances are depressed episode client, I'm going to go over making sure you're getting out of bed, having a shower, opening the blinds, basic, like let's, let's get the train has stopped and we have to get the train moving mm -hmm. kind of situation. And then for existentialists like that, that's going to be a different conversation of um, how can we provide you or help you through this process of trying to find meaning and fulfillment in your life. And what is that going to look like? So is that uh, fostering curiosity? Is that trying to encourage them to engage in different activities, engaging more in social connection? Um, it, it, I think those strategies might help persons in major depression, but they're not going to help them right away. Right? Like it's. And I think, on. and I think Brooke even naming, so if someone comes in worried about depression or everything they might have heard about depression and then you're actually naming it as something or saying this could be an existential crisis or, you know, that could provide some, I don't know, a different yeah. thing in their heads. It could be less overwhelming or it could be, wow, okay, this is not what I thought it was and let's learn more about what this crisis is. And um, Sure. Yeah. yeah. Often I don't, I personally don't try to provide diagnoses or words of diagnosis in right. treatment, in my own treatment, yeah. Um, but I might suggest like, oh, maybe you wanna look into this resource and see if it resonates with you. Oh, and then maybe giving an article or some education, <clears throat> like, I'm, I'm wondering, do you, like, do you take anything away from this? Or mm. maybe, maybe yeah. this doesn't fit with you and that's cool, but it's for me trying to understand if I were to jump in their mind, what is, how can I view their perspective the best, right? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the way I approach it is the client presents this as I'm feeling depressed is always a, a natural, like in a process where we try to discover what some of the causes might be. As we talked about before, it could be so many different causes and sometimes we won't actually be able to grasp the, the, the depth of it, right? So I actually had a client who came um, to, to see me last week and he said he presented with depression and I think existential angst or existential crisis is an aspect of that, right? There's also other elements that I think is kind of manifesting itself and, you know, it's leading to feelings of depression. So uh, I see it as existential angst could be uh, a bit of a cause of depression. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I think, like I said, that there's probably a lot of some overlap or cases where there's some overlap, right? If you were someone who were, who were already prone to depression, you know, uh, for the last 20 years and then 2020 hit. Oh yeah. You know, I think you're going to, it's quite possible that, uh, all of the kind of bleakness and 
and scary components of this year could kick off a kick off another depressive episode or um, start start you down the road of an existential crisis. You know what is what is life all about and what is this world all about? What's my place in it? So yeah, I think both are possible. Do you ever find this? I don't want to go too much down this road, but I find when I've worked with some young adults and even some teens who might have a bit more of the what's the purpose of life or it leads them down the why even bother. Uh, but um, almost a depersonalization from like, it's almost like they are outside their bodies or like, is this a stimulation? Stimulation? Simulation. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, simulation. Uh, or like, yeah, what is even real? Like I find that's come mm. up a few times and I think, I don't know if you've experienced that with your clients, but I'm like, whoa. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely more in the past, maybe two years or so, um, clients themselves coming in and, and using that word. So they'll be like 15 or 16 years old and coming in and using depersonalization before I say it, or even before they describe it. They're like, oh, I'm experiencing depersonalization. <laughs> A little web okay. MD searching. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I often see that as like a, an extreme manifestation of stress as well, right? Yeah, of course. The, the depersonalization side of things. But. Sometimes from residual drug use. And drug use, yeah, for sure. Sometimes. Yeah. So like if there's been recreational drug use and then now depersonalization hits afterwards, they're, they're like something could, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think, yeah, it, yeah a whole other topic, but I, have just, I think <clears throat> I've noticed that along with those questions of, but I know it also relates to so many other things as well. Yeah. Existential, it, even in the term existential crisis, we have crisis, right? It's not just, it's a, there's something that's traumatic or panicky or um, stressful that's going on in that moment uh, that a person's experiencing, right? It's a, it's a crisis of existence. And when, when you look at that, and you look at, at depression, which is kind of a, uh, you know, it's a crisis of mood, I guess, a crisis of energy, a crisis of uh, uh, functioning in, in a lot of ways. I mean, they're both they're both problematic. I guess I guess I just want to make sure that that listeners know that we're not saying that one's one's fine and the other one's not. Mm-mm. You know, they're both uh, very distressing for whoever's experiencing it. And and I guess the the purpose of this discussion is to just point out that. You know, there may be, you may be mistaking one for the other, or there may be components of one in the other, and uh, and they're both worth addressing and maybe teasing out, trying to see, okay, what part of the, how much of this is about kind of just the zaniness of 2020 right now that uh, a lot of people are sharing and feeling right now, like, yeah, this is a, we're, we're you know, 200,000 dead in the United States, uh, just that on a headline alone can cause people to have a bit of an existential crisis. Like, Oh my gosh, that is a heck of a lot of people. Um, and what if it's someone I love or what if it's me and what, you know, what would, you know, these are people who didn't expect to die six months ago and now they're gone. You know, that could be me. So that's, that's an existential crisis. I, yes, I agree. I'm glad that you, you just pointed that out. I agree that we do need to really emphasize that both are, extremely distressing mm-hmm. and impair functioning in multiple areas of life. And it's, um, yeah. 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 
So Brooke, tell me how, how did you go about kind of teasing that out? How, how did you talk with your clients who come in and say, I think I'm depressed and, and actually figure out, no, it sounds like it's more of an existential crisis. What, what would you ask them? Or more on that realm, perhaps, yeah. right? As yeah, you yeah. mentioned, they often, they can overlap, I think. And mm-hmm. to what Chris alluded to, too, there could be, well, and you, Ryan, there's, could be something else in there that's prompted it, right? Like a, a trauma or a loss or a grief or something else going on there. Um, but I, I just ask, I typically ask, what are you noticing? Like, tell me what that's like for you. Can you tell me what you're experiencing when that happens? Or what do you notice when you're in that state? So, and I try and flesh out and they say whatever they need to. And then I'll, I'll guide or ask more questions like physiologically, what are you noticing? Or what are your thought patterns like? Or um, what are your emotions like? And, and try and tease that out. And then I'll check in on the major things. How is your sleeping and your eating and connecting socially? Are you going to work? Are you getting out of bed? Are you, where is this hiccuping? Um, to try and then help, help me kind of come up with a plan. So for in, in working with me, I use the metaphor of traveling together. I say they get to pick where we're going. That's our goal. But mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to pick how we're going to get there. So are we going to take a boat? Are we going for a walk? Or like, let's, let's go together. You get to pick where, and I'm going to try and get us there. So I need to know where I'm going, I guess. And that's going to be, so I try and explore that with the client of what are, what are they experiencing and where do they want to be? And let's see if we can get there. Yeah. I like you know, that. In, in regard to um, the existential angst, um, based on my, my research on the topic, I, I find that there's like four areas that tend to give people meaning and purpose. So like a passion, a cause, connection. And or spirituality or nature. So there's a lot of overlap in those areas, of course. But when a client says, I don't know, you know, what my purpose is or what I should be focusing on, um, often I say, you know what, we gotta go off of the information we have right now and pick a path. It doesn't have to be the the path, it doesn't have to be a home run here. We just have to make a decision and then be anything, once you commit to that, you'll learn whether that's the right decision or not for you, right? And then try to reassess a bit. So I, I think often there's this social expectation that we have to have it all figured out and know exactly what we need to be doing. And if something, a curveball is thrown our way, then we shouldn't know exactly how we should pivot. But that's unrealistic. That's not life, right? Hmm. Hmm. I like the trial and error approach, right? It's kind of the, if you don't know what to do, do something. And then you can always kind of course correct if you need to, right? Absolutely, right? There's a lot of people who sit back and they're waiting for the perfect idea, the perfect plan but again it's not it's unrealistic um yeah i remember uh this professor that i think the three of us had in, in back in college he had the best name cornelius ray conray and he said he got his master's degree at 47 doctorate at 50 something and they were in gas like <laughs> as if like something awful went wrong in his life right so he's like he sensed that and said no like yeah i didn't know what i wanted to do at first but i I traveled extensively. I worked a few different jobs. I learned a lot about myself and the world. I would not change a thing. Wow. Right? So it's, um, it's great. Yeah, subjective, right? Yes. Um, speaking of anecdotes, I've got an anecdote from a former supervisor of mine many moons ago. He was talking about distinguishing grief 
from depression. So he wasn't talking about existential crisis, but I wonder if there might be some overlap. This is a guy who had worked in, in uh, the, like the county hospital system for many, many, many years. He was, he was a, a great uh, wealth of knowledge. And he said, here's the way that he distinguishes between um, depression and grief. He said he would ask the client um, if they can remember any sort of funny stories or any, any joyful times in their life, right? And if they could come up and, and maybe tell it to them, you know, and if they could come up with something that was, was kind of humorous in their life and kind of, you know, and they could actually feel happiness for a minute, he was like, they're not depressed because mm -hmm. depression is this blanket that kind of covers all it's, it makes it difficult for, for you to feel joy or happiness really in, in, in hardly any area, any area of your life. And, and there are, of course, degrees of depression, right? So, but if someone was kind of profoundly affected, but they could still, you know, share a, a funny story or laugh at a joke or something like that, temporarily step out of that so that they could actually feel something else, he was like, that's probably grief and probably not depression. So I thought that was an interesting way to look at it, you know? Very interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I don't know if that fits with existential crisis, um, but... But I think, I think if you're exploring with people kind of what it is that, that's on their mind, what have they been thinking about, what are they, you know, when they're falling asleep at night, what's kind of running through their minds, uh, you might get a sense of what their anxieties, what their worries are, and, and what, uh, mm -hmm. what might be spinning around in their heads. Mm -hmm. And if it's all on a, a nature of, of, you know, I'm, I'm afraid for my life or I'm afraid of what I'm doing with my life, you know, what's my purpose and meaning, and it might be headed down that path. Um, and if it's like you say, Brooke, if you've already checked with all the kind of self-care things, you know, are they sleeping? Are they eating? Are they exercising? Are they withdrawing from relationships? Um, you might be looking into their, their kind of depressive symptoms, right? Or family history as well. Right? And family history is a big family one. History. Sure. Previous yeah. episodes, that kind of stuff, you know, uh -huh. Yeah, it's it's not all. I guess part of this too is just to highlight it's not always clear cut. There's gonna be a lot of overlap, and and it's in the process of therapy. You want to stay open minded and curious to lean into different areas and try and be as honest and transparent as possible, so that you can get the best treatment that you can. Right? Because all of that information is going to guide how to move forward. Exactly. For sure. Mm hmm. Hmm. Any thoughts there, Joanna? You're making yeah. No, I, was, I think I was pondering. Something. Yeah, I was pondering um, uh, the the antidote or whatever Brian was gave or heard. Who who did you hear that from? Was it a? It was a supervisor. Supervisor yeah. at the at the LA County Hospital. Yeah, I think I know. This not is kind of not the topic we're on, but yeah, I just don't know. I, I, I wonder about that or I question that a little bit yeah. because I feel that a lot of people who you find out have struggled with great depression are ones you sometimes least expect because they might be ones who are able to, whether there's the comedians in the world or mm -hmm. people who are able to have some moments or, um, of reprieve, but it, they're very short lived um, mm -hmm. and not very, even if you talk to them, like you can see them smile or, laugh at something but then once you talk to them about that moment they're like it was fleeting it was so short 
So yeah, I think I just wonder about that. I wouldn't probably say if you're able to tell a funny story, it's not yeah. in that moment. Yeah, that's all. I think I just, that caught me. I think I was zoned sure. out thinking about that stuff. But Analyzing that, it, yeah. No, it's no, a good yeah. point though. Yeah. It is a good point because, because yeah, yeah it, um, there is high functioning people, like people who are high functioning depressed people, right? They yeah, have depression, but they're still out in the world, but there's still a deep hurt or pain mm-hmm. underneath that. So sure. I think there's such a variety, right? Such a, uh, and I think, spectrum, that, yeah. yeah, such a spectrum. So I think that's important as well. But. Well, coming yeah. out of depression too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. And, and yes, and keep in mind that this, I mean, this guy is working at the County hospital where he's seeing a pretty extreme population, you know, not, For sure. not, yeah. not, not the worried. Well, these are folks who are pretty, uh, experiencing kind of the, the depths of, of the, of the symptoms. So yeah, just, just an interesting thought though, as far as trying to consider, you know, is it other possibilities? Yeah. Is it something that someone is kind of just ruminating about, kind of worrying about, uh, feeling bad about, or is it a mood, you know, is it like mm-hmm. covering everything? Right. Mm-hmm. That's a interesting way to look at it at least. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Well, it generated some great conversation. And I hopefully at a future uh, boot camp or boot cast, we can talk a bit more about depression and maybe some techniques to help get out of that darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. That's a, uh, that's a big topic, right? Yes. If uh, anyone's interested more in talking about grief, then flip on back to episode four, which was all about grief. Mm-hmm. And can you believe it, guys? This is our tenth episode. Whoa! Ten, ten episodes. Like two high fives. Big high fives all around for everyone. Um, yes, I've got to say a, some bum boops. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, bump your buns together if you approve of that. <laughs> Those uh, hips. Those hips. Those hips. It's like a hip yeah. check. It's a okay. hip check. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Friendly, friendly, and polite, of course. Um, (laughs) Hey, you know what I think I'm going to do this week? I think I'm going to tell two people about the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast. I think I'm going to share that. You know what, Ryan? I'll do the same. You too? That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. You're going to tell two people about it? I am. Wow. Mm -hmm. Chris, So not not just like a post here. This has got to be like a conversation or letting someone know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna okay. tell two people that there's a podcast that we do that uh, we're trying to share some some knowledge with people. Have a good time. Sure, Brooke, I can you join us on that? Yep, I can do that. Okay, well, and maybe the listeners can join us in that too, and tell two people about the podcast. We'll get this thing going around the world. We're dying to get to Australia. We're spreading across. And none of it. We have still haven't gotten to none of it, but we're spreading across the rest of Canada by like wildfire. If you do enjoy what you're hearing here today, please like and subscribe on Apple, Google, or Podbean, or anywhere really that you find podcasts. Uh, send us your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. And tell some friends. And that's all we got for you tonight, everybody. Have a good Good night, everybody. Great topic. Bye, everyone.